welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're welcoming back Paul Salomon, a math teacher who is also a designer behind a portfolio of games with over a million dollars in sales. His newest title, Honey Buzz Fall Flavors from Elf Creek Games, is currently on Kickstarter. Paul, welcome back to The Binge. How are you doing, sir? Howdy. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, it's awesome having you. Uh, of course, I just want to uh, pull people's attention back to episode 49, which is the last time you were on here. So almost 100 episodes uh, episodes ago, which is crazy wow, to even think of that. That is wild. Yeah. So episode 49, we went really deep on the licensing process uh, with designers. So definitely, if there's anyone out there listening or watching that is maybe a designer themselves and uh, you know want to try to hook up with a, with a publisher to publish their game, Episode 49, man, that was one beefy episode where we went really deep on that and got into the weeds. So check that out. Uh, but while we have you here, we're going to be talking about some other stuff today, uh, namely the Honey Buzz uh, Fall Flavors expansion. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But first, sure. just for people who don't know who you are, I was wondering if you can yeah. just kind of give us a just a brief overview of kind of your background and uh, what you're all about. Cool. Yeah. Um, Paul Solomon. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, here in the States, born and raised. Um Went to college in Wisconsin, studied like physics and math, and that was kind of my bag. Um, did a lot of music and different things, but always been like a creative guy. And I think part of what draws me to playing games is like the creativity that matches with the analytics. You know, it kind of hits like all the different aspects of uh, what I like to think about. And been playing games at this point for like 10 or 12 years, I'm not sure. Um, and about six years ago, maybe seven years ago, I just, like any hobby that I would get into, felt like um, maybe I've got some ideas, right? You know, I was like, I was, I was a mathematical artist for a while and really liked the way that math like pushes on the creative thinking. And so theming and mechanisms is like another place where that kind of math and uh, aesthetic connect. So <clears throat> started designing a, a game called Jump Drive, which was never published and is not the published game Jump Drive. And uh, it was not good, but learned like a ton of stuff from Jamie Stegmeier's blog. And uh, eventually after I shut that thing down, started working on Honey Buzz and pitched it all around to um, a number of publishers and had it at Stonemaier Design Day. Eventually uh, got it signed with Elf Creek Games handful of years later it came out so honey buzz is kind of my big baby um and now doing the fall flavors expansion along the way there i also did uh the periodic and genotype co-design with john covey and ian zhang on the second one with uh genius games here in st louis so that's that's most of what i've done game design. just just little things here and there right eh? <laughs> Yeah. So as a math teacher um how have you found this past uh, couple of years with covid is it has it impacted your how you've been able to teach? Has it been remote or how's that kind of worked for you? Well, last year um, we were like hybrid mode. So we had like half mm. the students in and half the students at home. And so we we're kind of teaching over Zoom. And I, you know, changed the way I was teaching the class to make that work. And it was okay. You know, it was okay. But I think a lot of students had a really hard time doing stuff. And this year, our student body is like 98, 99% vaccinated. The faculty is 100% vaccinated. So we're all in the room doing pretty much normal stuff, just masked. And we've had 
through the year, I think we've only had um, two breakthrough cases and they were both from home exposure. So it's been really successful and uh, feels good to be doing normal things. And like one thing that we talked about last time you're on the podcast was how much time you've invested in like play testing games and going out to game nights and so forth to really kind of test some of these concepts you worked on. Uh, how has that impacted you? Obviously I got to imagine that you've had to do things a little bit differently over the past couple of years. Yeah. I would say that um, for about a year or a year and a half when, you know, from when COVID started, I really didn't do any design or play test mm. work at all. Um, uh, apart from thinking about this expansion kind of on my own, it wasn't something that I was able to get around to other players much. Um, eventually we got to the point where I just made, I think I made three different prototypes for the expansion and then would just drop it off for people in St. Louis at their house. And so that was the main way that I was able to do that. I wasn't going out to like the design, the designer meetup, um, which is a great, there's a St. Louis one that's awesome. I'm mm-hmm. going tomorrow, but um, wasn't doing that and really just sort of like developed it from the ground up with Mike Hinson at Elf Creek Games. And um, the early ideas were successful enough that there wasn't a ton to really figure out. Um, things just pretty much worked and we were able to, uh, you know, make the minor tweaks ourselves. Now, do you use like tabletop simulator or any kind of digital format to do that? Or how did you, that, that is something that I really don't like to do is play tabletop simulator stuff. I, and I just like, for some people it's great and that's awesome. Um, but I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Go ahead. I have a hard time. Like, I don't know with the controls and just like, yeah. it just, it, it feels to me like it, it takes a game that should be, I like like an hour game. And I feel like it's always running long. And so anyway, I don't, they, they set something up on tabletop simulator, but I never did any play testing there. I know they did a couple things, um, but I did go to Gen Con this year. I did go to origins this year. And so we did some play testing things there. And oh, nice. Mike Hinson lives in Champaign, Illinois. So he comes down every once in a while and we would play and it wasn't too much of a problem. And then lately you've been working, so Genius Games, Elf Creek, have you worked with any other publishers or are you sticking with these two? Not to date. Those are my only two and I haven't signed any more uh, deals since then. So um, got some stuff in the hopper since like Origins. I was really inspired by what was going on at Origins Mm -hmm. and uh, did some development work for a company called Math for Love. Mm. Um, And this is a, they've done the game Prime Climb, if you've ever heard of that one. No, and uh, they did a, a kind of, it's not really a game, but it's sort of a card set called um, Tiny Polka Dot. And uh, he and I both worked, the, the owner of that company and I both worked at the same school in Brooklyn, but at different times. And so we have kind of loose connections, but he knows that I'm a mathematician and a game designer. So I've helped him with some games, but um, I haven't pushed them as far along as I probably should be. When you're designing these games, we're going to get the honey buzz in just one second, but when you're designing yeah. these games, how much math are you pumping in? Like, are you running statistics on the different combinations and permutations or like, how are you approaching it from a mathematical standpoint? Well, just to, to talk about the, um, the math for love stuff for a second, mm-hmm. their, their, their thing is like the math is real math. And so in the same, there's sort of like a math equivalent to what genius games does with science. And so, you know, I'm thinking about the math all the time. But in terms of like doing a Euro game like Genotype or Periodic, um, I don't run any statistical stuff. I don't keep data on the play tests for the most part, but I have like a rough scheme for 
how the point system works. Like mm. when we did Honey Buzz, we did calculations because at the end of a game of Honey Buzz, you can look back at your hive and count the number of actions you executed. And we would take that and divide the total score for that player by that and get like a, an estimate for what efficient points per turn looked like um, or like points per action would look like in a game. And that would kind of became a base level. And it was about three or four points per action if you were playing well. Mm. So having an accounting spot that gives you five points for that action, but doesn't advance you in the other parts of the game felt like a balanced trade-off. Um, stuff like that, you know, where we're, we're sort of thinking about, oh, these are worth one and those are two or like two, three, four type scales. Um, Got it. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's sort of like looser schemes than anything. So loose math. You're not doing a thesis on this game. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, but like when I was working with, with uh, Genius Games, John and I and Steve Schlepphorst, who's one of the developers, would a lot of times make these big arguments about, like with Genotype, it was much more about the, I don't know how much you know about the game, but you roll these dice to generate offspring and, you know, it's like a Punnett square and there was much more probability involved and trying to figure out we did a lot more computation, or at least I did a lot more computation for trying to figure out what those numbers should be. It took us a long time to um, agree on like what the right ideas were there. Mm -hmm. yeah. So with Honey Buzz, for people who don't know, so I, I've got two, like, you can't obviously see this because it's a OBS and I get sure. to control the overlays. You don't, but yeah. um, I'm going to show two two pages. So I'm going to show your, your initial Honey Buzz page, and then I'm going to switch over to the uh, fall flavors because I think the initial page sure. kind of focuses on the core game itself. So yeah. um, wondering if you could kind of walk us through uh, how to play Honey Buzz. Sure. So uh, Honey Buzz is thematically um, the, the bees of Sweetwater Grove have discovered economics. And if they open a honey stand, then that'll be the key to peace and prosperity because the bears and other woodland creatures won't trash their hive. So mechanically, it's a worker bee placement game um, and tile laying game. And you're doing these action combos. On your turns, you'll send some workers up to one of the six spots at the top to buy a tile. And that feels like worker placement, but you don't get an action from that. You get an action tile. And that tile has a little action symbol on it. Then you'll connect it into your hive and the tile system makes it so that you end up with these empty spaces called cells. Mm -hmm. And that's where you end up storing nectar. As soon as you make one of those empty cells complete it, then you get these uh, all the action symbols around it trigger. Um, so the worker placement lets you get an action and then you trigger it by your placement but also the shape that you've made around that cell determines what style of nectar and honey you can make there. So you have to build really strategically to go for different nectars and honeys, especially because the value of those things changes through the game. So, you know, as you play it, you forage in a field of flowers to find the right nectars, you produce honey from them using fans, because that's how bees make honey, not with fans, but with air current. Sure. And then you sell the honey and the pollen and stuff that you get for points. And the prices in this market are dropping because it is, after all, a bear market. Mm. That's most of Honey Buzz. So with these, uh, and, and this mechanic is kind of like a similar mechanic that I've seen in other games where you're trying to, um, you know, match up the objectives on a card, for lack of a better word, right? And that is mm -hmm. kind of how you unlock your different um, uh, point values and so forth. So with, outside of kind of this, uh, this cell that... Um, that you kind of, uh, you know, you, you build around, so you have the empty spot in the middle. 
how, how do those objectives work? So with those individual cells around kind of the empty spot yeah. in the middle. Yeah. So the, um, the cell patterns were actually my original mechanical idea for the game was that it is, it's, it's sort of hard to tell now, but it's based on a rhombic tile system. And there's um, four or five different ways you can connect those together. And so um, to get the cherry blossom uh, honey, for example, you have to do four of these double hexagon tiles all in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And that gets you these border patterns. Every tile has two hexagons and the middles are the darkened shapes. Um, they're like, they're sort of orangish stripes there. And then the ends are white. And so um, depending on how many tiles connect to each other to make the cell will determine what those look like. So if you did three connecting, you'll get like all orange around the outside and that's the wildflower honey, mm. which is uh, the least valuable because it's it's easy to make with just three tiles. Whereas the acacia requires five different tiles to kind of all poke into the same area to make this thing that's mostly a white border. And so its value is very high at the start of the game because it takes a long time to build. And depending on the different contests in the game, typically, you're trying to build a variety of these things um, so that you can complete the different orders. You're also rewarded for building a lot of one type because mm -hmm. you can sell as many as you want of one type at a time. So you're balancing a lot of objectives as you play. And then the squishy pieces. So you've got like these, you know, uh, they call them beeples, I guess. So they're bees that are meeples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, pun on words, which I love. And yeah. um, the the wooden, uh, the, sorry, the, the squishy kind of honey. So what is that? Like, what have you actually got yeah. like, are, like, are they gelatinous pieces or how, how does that work? So the, the beeples are the wooden pieces. And then the, the honey um, is a, I think it's called TPE. It's a rubber blend pretty much. Okay. And it's translucent. I think it is, uh, I'm not sure for, for sure, but I think it's similar to the stuff that's in the Everdell berries and the berries from um, Tidal Blades. So it's, uh, we're seeing it in more and more games, but yeah. it's, it's translucent in Honey Buzz. And so um, that, that gives you this tactile squishiness that's surprising and people like it a lot. Oh, that's awesome. And was this something that you guys kind of just kind of threw in at the last, like kind of when you got to the designs, like, okay, now how can we kind of pimp this out, so to speak? Or was it something you kind of planned from the beginning? I, I had imagined that it would be um, glass because my prototype had just glass beads and I thought that was a nice sturdy component and it feels good kind of sliding. But um, Elf Creek, definitely, they do game components all the way. If you've ever seen an Atlantis Rising Deluxe Edition, those are the most amazing components I think I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And um, so, no, I think it was Brent Dickman's idea. He's the president at Elf Creek. and. Um, you know, they want to have components that people are talking about. So the, the rule book is that kind of like um, linen finish, like wingspan, and they have those sticky, those, you know, squishy honeys are in the standard edition of the game, which really surprises people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, that's just a, a goal of theirs as a publisher is to have at least one or two amazing components in every game. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the box, which I think is really cool. And that was one thing that impressed me the first time we looked at uh, Honey Buzz. And we'll, in the expansion, we're going to talk about in a second because there's even more stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and some of the people we have in the lobby here, we've got um, Julia Deer, who's saying that, uh, you know, your description at the beginning about uh, 
um, you know, how you approach your gaming and, and so forth as, as a teacher, she can totally relate to that. Oh, we got awesome. Jeremy uh, Dobler. He's saying he really digs your 3d printed uh, prototype components. Oh, uh, he prints often uh, his upgrades himself for his games. And uh, he's, uh, looks like he's used some of your, uh, some of your stuff, even uh, on, uh, right on. on some other games he's worked, which is kind of cool. Um, Super cool. So talk to us a little bit. So this, this then transitioned into the fall. Fla- How long ago did you guys start on fall flavors? So some of the stuff that's in fall flavors um, was kind of like ideas we had in the development of Honeybuzz originally, not like, not like, Oh, this could be an expansion. Let's store that away. But more like, as we tried to make the advanced variant for Honeybuzz work, we mm-hmm. had some of those ideas in place. Um, but probably a year and a half ago, um, we started really figuring out, like, I had some modules that I was telling them, I've, I've you know, and as we did it, I wrote down tons of stuff. Um, I said, you know, I've got all these modules, when are we going to start doing an expansion? And to package them together, um, we had this, this like fall themed idea. Originally, the idea was going to be like a, a fall edition, basically, mm-hmm. um, sort of like how you would have different versions of, uh, Ticket to Ride or Azul or something. And it would have like minor changes and then fall art reskin. But um, we wanted to do, and we had enough really good ideas to do like some meaty um, modules in there. So that's when we started to shape like what would happen to Sweetwater Grove in the fall. Um, What, like, I feel like my thing as a designer is like thematic mechanisms and trying to make stuff that makes sense um, that's simple and clean, but also tied to what you think should be happening. And, you know, a lot of it fell out of that idea. We've, we've got other stuff too, kind of in the pipeline. Um, I think we're going to do at least one more kind of expansion of this size with a handful of more modules. Um, but for now, I, I think it, it's come out really cool as like a fall package. Yeah. And so what, what is different? So walk us through and I'm, I apologize. I'm trying to get my mouse to okay. work here. My one yeah. mouse just died on me. So I just All right. the other no one worries. synced up while we're talking here. Um, yeah. So if people see me while I'm fidgeting at my desk, I'm literally trying to get a second <laughs> mouse onboarded in the middle of our chat. Um, so walk us through um, fall flavors. So exactly yeah. what's, what's, what's been added. And I'm going to sure. switch over to the other Kickstarter campaign Go here. For it. Go for it. Um, what's been added? So Fall Flavors is a modular expansion with five different modules that are all fall related. And um, thematically, again, what's going on is you've set up the, the honey stand. It's been a great success. Everybody loves it and all the woodland creatures, I guess. And um, but, you know, fall has arrived and winter is coming. And that means that it's time to kind of slow things down. And so the thematic stuff that's going on, we have an autumn leaves uh, module where you're collecting leaves to decorate your hive and a sort of set collection oh, thing. That's cool. Yeah. We have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we have uh, fall fruit where instead of collecting pollen, you gather three different kinds of fruit that animals might eat, which is apple, pears, and pumpkins. And those are kind of like spread out in this new grid that you move around on. Um, you have, you prepare to cap your nectar for the winter, which is something that bees really do. So uh, you can use the accounting action to actually put a nectar cap on a honey and it'll never produce honey again, Mm. um, but it'll just be worth a lot of points. And there's some end game points for whoever caps the most nectar. There's also in the 
um, fourth module, there is a harvest festival that you can send workers to. So as early as the first turn, you can send workers there to gain a bonus action or to cash in on these toast cards. And you propose a toast to something and score like three points per order card you have or two points per worker that's at the festival or whatever. And um, as players do these various actions, the game sort of shifts towards its end. And the fifth module is the sunset, which just tracks progression. And it gives the game a better kind of arc as it reaches the end game. And so uh, you, can, you can arrive at the end game through a wider variety of combinations of like end game elements. So it makes for a, a, a more natural flow. And then of course, there's just a ton of new fall art. So mostly you get a new board for the, for the woodland board, which is fall themed. There's a new board for the harvest festival, which is a totally new area. There's some new tiles that go in with those leafy um, symbols on them. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. New nectar tiles, new fruit tokens. And the fruit tokens will be that same squishy uh, rubber stuff. Yeah, I was just showing on the page here uh, while you're chatting. I mean, the artwork is is beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, and hide it, seek is, um, I, I do not for a second think that uh, I am more important than she is to the success of this game because she is just incredible, incredible. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I had in the uh, lobby here is can all the fall flavor modules be played together without hindering the game flow too much? I think that's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the answer is, yeah, you can, you can play with everything. Um, I wouldn't do it on your first turn, on your first game out of the box. I wouldn't do it if you or your friends are very analysis paralysis prone because there are more and more decisions the more you put in there. But um, I've certainly played probably most of my playtesting games with all the stuff in there. And the uh, Fall Fruits module, the Nectar Caps module, the Autumn Leaves module, the Sunset module, none of those really add to game length at all. Mm. Um, they just sort of find a little bit of space in what you were already doing to be a little different. Um, the only thing that adds game length at all if at all, is the Harvest um, Festival because after each turn, you get a, like a second little mini turn to spend a worker and do it a little more if you want. But uh, doing that also can push the game forward. So, because you're still just taking actions in time. So um, yeah, you can totally do all the stuff in there and you can mix and match them. You can do the Harvest Festival and keep the spring woodland board with pollen. You can play with leafy tiles or not. All the stuff is, is uh, interchangeable in and out. So, because let me just tease a thread on that one a little bit. So, so when I've got the original board from uh, Honey Buzz, yeah, are you playing that board or the new board, or are you playing that board and then you progress onto the new board? <clears throat> right. So the the original game has two boards. Yeah. It has a hive board on top and then the yeah. woodland board on bottom. And if you want, you can replace that woodland board from the base game with the fall woodland board, and you'd play with one or the other. The Spring mm. Woodland Board has the original four honeys, which are um, acacia, wildflower, rosemary, and uh, cherry blossom. And it has pollen. And if you replace that with the Fall Woodland Board, you, of course, have the new art, a new grid, the fall fruits, um, which includes special fruit orders that I don't think I mentioned. And then you'll have four different honey varieties, which are only functional in name. And that's like sunflower, uh, aster, I can't even remember them. strawberry tree and <laughs> what's the other one? I don't know. Something. 
And when you were building this expansion, like when you were kind of planning it out, did you have like the theme wrapped on those different modules as well? Like, did you know that, okay, I'm going to have different fruits here. I'm going to, then I'm going to cater to the animals over here. I'm going to dress up, you know, my hive to make it look pretty. Like, was that kind of thematically or was it more along the lines of, I have this kind of mechanic I want to build in here and then and I'll, I'll find some way to wrap yeah. that. So it makes sense. I try to always make it about both. And, mm. you know, you, you, you can't obviously. So for example, as I thought about like, what do expansions do? This is the first expansion I've designed really, apart from just like stuff that didn't come out for periodic. Um, when I thought about what, what expansions do, I like ones where they find little pieces in the design that aren't being used. So like I knew that I wanted to do something with the other half of the hive tiles that was mm. blank. I knew that, um, you know, I'd probably want to change the nectar foraging system. Um, I'd probably, the I've had the idea for like closing off nectar since like the first week of designing the game. So yeah. um, I knew that some of that stuff would come up, but then as we talked about like thematically what's going on, we were like, well, in fall, you know, there's harvest festivals, there's celebrations, um, you're shutting things down. So maybe you're re retiring workers. And it's when those things start to connect in a way that actually makes any good sense that you go like, maybe that, maybe we'll start to go in that direction. You know, I would never even feel good enough about a mechanism on its own in the abstract to mm. want to push some theme onto it. I wonder if there's a learning in there for other designers where you know, I think the, the natural tendency is to want to throw everything in, right? Everything but the kitchen mm -hmm. sink. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like when in your design process, you have kind of the core game and then you have all these other things that, you know, could make it even bigger, but yeah. there's this conscious decision to say, no, 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 let me, let's keep the core core. And right. then if it's successful and, you know, then we've got this other stuff that we, we can add nice now kind of plug in easy as, totally. as an add on versus, totally try and do everything. Cause I've seen games like that where, yeah. you know, it's like, guys, there's too much here. Like, yeah. you know, this is a new concept and you're throwing literally everything in and there's expansions at the same time as your Kickstarter. And it's like, yeah, I got to kind of wade through all this stuff to get to what is this game about? Right. And exactly. so, you know, I, I think that's kind of cool how you've approached it that way, where you said, you know, you know, we've got some other ideas, but you know what, let's park those for now. Cool ideas. We're going to bring them for the, the next version of this game and uh, yeah. let's keep the core kind of nice and, clean for people to understand i mean quite frankly the core game is pretty robust on its own right so yeah well the thing that i like about it from a design perspective is that there's only five actions you ever execute in the game mm. and they don't change um the production action is always the same it's just a difference of whether you have things that are going to produce better for you mm. or not and uh you know the worker placement works the same the turn structure is always the same it's just there's so much you can plan for and look around the table and, and the, the contest change the feel of the game enough that um, it keeps bringing you back, hopefully. Yeah, no, that's cool. So what are some other things you're working on now? You're, you're a designer, you're a mad genius when it comes to game design. I'm sure you've got several uh, games kind of in the hopper ready to go. Yeah. What's kind of the most near in thing that you're working on mm -hmm. that uh, people are going to be seeing sooner rather than later? Well, as I said, I don't have anything signed. So it's at, at this point, it's only hopeful. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, you know, it's, it's nothing like a honey buzz or a genotype, but I have been working on a cool runnings card game, bobsledding game. I don't know if you're familiar with cool runnings. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm Canadian. But, of course, uh, I know cool runnings. All right. Uh, 
that's something I've had in my kind of brain for a lot of years. And this year after Origins, I finally got down to putting a prototype in play and we're doing some stuff with it. And I think um, Daryl Andrews, uh, you know, prolific designer is uh, interested in working on it with me. And I think that gives me hope that it'll get to the finish line, but it's sort of a, it's sort of a two player real time race card sorting game. And the idea is you have these cards in your hand and you're sitting back to front, like you're in a bobsled, you know, and uh, you pass them back but you pass them on the ground. So if, if we go to the right, we both lean to the right and then pass it. And then we both lean to the left and we might put one under the, the chair. That's kind of what that one's about. It's a silly fun thing, but it is very fun. That is awesome. <laughs> um, I, I'm also working on uh, something I feel like I can't talk a ton about, sure. but I, I uh, there's a, a game series that exists, you know, and you can imagine what those might be. And I, uh, I have a design that I think is really good and basically finished for another game in that series, but I need to pitch that publisher and hopefully mm. do a really good job of it. Um, so just in the car over here, I was thinking like, you know, maybe this is the time I should actually like get a printed version of the game, you know, have a good looking prototype. Cause what I have is like, it's fine. You can totally play it. You can see how it works, but maybe that'll work better. Or maybe that would actually be a turnoff. You know, you can never tell. I feel like when you're pitching a publisher, sometimes it's just not what they're looking for that day. And so you still, you yeah. can't do it. So let me clear. Uh, so this is a game that's already out there and you've come up with kind of the next kind of game in the series of those games without naming mm-hmm. what the game is. Yeah. So just to give you like an idea, like if there was like, um, you know, Sushi Go, Sushi Go Party, uh, Sushi Roll, and then maybe I just came up with a Sushi Go tile laying game, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But it's like, <clears throat> I couldn't release this game if it didn't fall in this line of games. Because it's just, it. uh, it's just too, too obvious that it's... Too connected, know. basically. Yeah, it's just, it's that or it's not. It's just going to be a game that I play and it's going to be nice for me. Sushi Go leftovers. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I think it's possible that I could make enough changes to where, you know, maybe a publisher would want to do this thing, but it seems really unlikely. Where do you go for um, doing your prototypes? Like are you using game crafter or when you want to do like a polished prototype, where are you going for that? I never have. Um, I, I just, you know, stuffs and card sleeves and that's it. And uh, like I, if I do tiles, so for example, for the honey buzz prototypes, those were um, custom tiles that, I could have tried to get them to laser at GameCraft or something, mm-hmm. but never did. I um, The first batch was laser cut wood. I had wooden tiles for, mm. for a couple of years, I think. And then eventually I used a Cricut machine, which is like a computerized um, yep. cutter. And I used a, a razor blade on it to cut these tiles, but they took like, I think they took like six hours to cut a sheet, you know? So I'd just be doing them overnight. And it's going to say on a Cricut because on a Cricut, you've got like, it's thin, right? It, it can be, but they have stuff to where you can cut um, chipboard. So you can do, I can't remember what millimeter chipboard you can do on it, but uh, you can do like 12 by 12 sheets and really? it just goes really, I mean, it, it goes pretty slow and it has a special blade and it, it does all these turns and uh, goes just like, it, it does it in like 20 layers of cuts, uh, okay. um, but they came out pretty clean and then I could sand them after if I wanted. 
Um, and eventually I used the Cricut to also um, cut out the printed sheets that I would glue onto the top. So that was like my nice version. Mm-hmm. But then ultimately like Elf Creek uses game crafter or print play games or whatever. Yeah, all these guys. Yeah. For for me it's it's always been um, you know, cards and card sleeves with Star Realms authority cards as the backers. And it's just yeah, yeah. it's good enough, I think. Well, for people that want to uh, check out Honey Buzz uh, Fall Flavors, I encourage yep. them to look at our show notes. Uh, very simply, whether it's the audio version of this podcast or you're watching this YouTube version, right down below in the show notes, there's a link you can easily click to find it. Or simply go to Kickstarter and just type in Honey Buzz and you'll find the original game as well as the Fall Flavors expansion. Paul, it's been awesome catching up with you, man. I can't wait to get you back on the podcast again for your next uh, your next title. Could and, be cool uh, runnings. Yeah, maybe be cool runnings, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I want to wish you all the best with this campaign. Quarter million dollars. I can't wait to see how this thing's going to end. It's awesome. Thanks so much. All right, man. You take care. Cheers. All right. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.